Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2 tell me, I will say, I will praise you, O Lord. With my whole heart I will tell you of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And that's how we start. We start with praise and prayer request. Well, I have to start with the basics of my salvation. Without that, I'm not here. I don't have this home. I don't have the wife of 40 years. I don't have my family, my two sons, my daughter-in-laws, my grandson. I don't have any of the furry kids that we've had over the years and that we have now. I have none of these possessions without my salvation. He gave me back my soul and he gave me back all those things. I praise him for that. I praise him for the provision and the protection that he offers us as his children, for the dreams and the visions he gives us to inspire us and encourage us. I praise him for the healing virtues that are still available to us today in his name. He still heals. I praise him for favor and divine revelation, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. Who would have thought? that things would have escalated so quickly. But then again, that's just the way it is. In in prophecy, things just suddenly happen. And I believe we're in the midst of suddenlies. I praise him for America. I praise him for the signs that he's getting ready to return. I praise him that his word is true. His promises are yea and amen. And I'm looking forward to seeing him. So I say get ready. I can't tell you when it'll be, but I can tell you it will be soon. So let's pray. Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you in accordance with Psalm 122, verse 6. I pray for America, everything that it's going through, everything that's happening right now. There are supernatural, spiritual implications. Also, I pray for America because the republic is at stake. Our future is at stake. And if God doesn't bless us, if God does not arise and scatter his enemies, America will cease to exist. I'm praying for justice and righteousness and 
for truth to prevail and all evil to be exposed and dealt with. I don't believe that he's done with us yet. Pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice, the slaughter of the innocents, both in the womb, out of the womb, both human and animal. I pray for missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, young boys, young girls, men, women. It, it's a satanic, diabolical industry, and every day I intercede. I intercede for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. It's going to increase, folks. Maybe not. It won't hit us for a little while, but eventually it will. The Word tells us so. Religious persecution, anti-Semitism, these things are growing. The spirit of the Antichrist is growing bolder and bolder as the prophetic clock ticks towards the end. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as we get back to our divine design. Some of you are praying for healing. You're praying for answers. You're praying for miracles. Well, pray for the basics. The basics are he designed you specifically to be a certain way. Pray for your body to get back in alignment with the word and the will of God. I pray right now for healing in each and every one of you that are injured or sick in any way, shape, or form. Heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, whatever it is, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, be healed. Pray for divine protection, each and every one of us living under the Psalm 91 covering, for inspiration, for the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn inside of us and guide us, for the remnant to wake up, to hear that alarm clock and get up, rise up, answer the call to action. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. If you know somebody that's been blessed, tell them to be a blessing. Tell them about Firefall. Tell them about SRT. Tell them about the porch. Let's get the word out. Pray for doors to open, a documentary to finish, work to be done, that we would prosper in accordance for his, with his word for his kingdom, that the open conduits of blessings to fund the dreams, the visions, and the missions, and the kingdom business that must happen. And, of course, we pray for our lost family members because without them being in eternity, What's the point? They need to be in eternity. You need to speak to them. You need to pray for them. You need to pray for God to send somebody to them. Junior in Oklahoma sent a prayer request for his mother-in-law. She's in the hospital with COVID and pneumonia, not on a ventilator, but she needs prayer. He also has a dog named Biscuit, and something's wrong with his ear. Um, They don't know what it is. Two and a half weeks later, they're praying um, for him, and he's asking for prayers. Dawn in South Carolina, her son Jordan's having wisdom teeth out tomorrow, asking for prayers for him and just for his general health. Kim in Fort Mitchell sends in her praise reports and prayer requests. She's grateful for his unconditional love, for saving her soul, um, hearing his voice and keeping her sober every day. Prayers for her children, her husband and her mother, friends, the porch community, her dog Bruno. She thanks him for every lesson, big and small, for his protection and everything he provides for them. She offered a prayer request for a five-year-old little boy this week that um, in some bizarre, misguided attempt to chastise the five-year-old, the uh, mother's boyfriend put him out of the car in a parking lot. He wandered out into the highway and was killed. So she's praying for all the little boys like that all over the world. Folks, that's part of the prayer of the innocents, to pray for that. 
praying for protection, healing over our minds, our spirits, and our bodies to save our loved ones. And she even asked for forgiveness for not feeling compassion for the man that caused the death of the five-year-old boy. It's tough sometimes to live in a fallen world and see people through his eyes. Said Father, She's asking for the legal situation in Germany that she's um, involved in to go away. But Kim, I can tell you, God will do it. He'll do it in his time. He's done it for us. She's praying for the porch community and SRT, asking for protection for her children and herself. She says, deliver us, bless us, favor us in Jesus' name. So, Father, we just come to you right now in the name of Yeshua. You are the name above all names. You are the only one. You're only hope. Our hope is not man. Our hope is not the world system. Our hope is not anything but you. You can guide. You can do. You can overcome. You can bless. You can speak a word from the throne room, and it will happen. We're dependent upon you. And we're thankful that you're as good as your word. This world isn't. People aren't, but you are. And that's what we're counting on. So we praise you. We praise you for that. We praise you for answering the prayers even before we ask them. We praise you for being the head, not the tail, for being above and not beneath, for being the lender and not the borrower. We speak that by faith, speaking into our life, into our finances, into our abilities to bless the kingdom and bless others. Father, we thank you for your love, Abba, Father, Papa, God. We thank you for being our daddy. We thank you for sending Yeshua, your only begotten son, to pay with his blood for our sins. And Lord, we thank you that you did it. We're really thankful that you didn't die, that you're not just a prophet. You're a man. You're a Messiah. You are alive. You rose from the dead. You fulfilled all the requirements, all the prophecies of Messiah. You are our Lord, our Savior, our King. You're everything to us, and we love you. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us and to walk with us and to train us and to comfort us. Right now, Lord, I just sense in my spirit there are people out there that need comfort. They need to feel you. They need to feel your arms around them. They need to feel the, the, the glory of the throne room upon them, touch them in their hearts, their minds, their souls, and their spirit. Envelop them in peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. We just thank you, Lord. Guide us. Guide this technology. Bless and protect our our words and everything that we say and do. Let your will be done this night on the porch. And I pray that in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. You know, every week for a while now, we've started with the Lord's Prayer, and I don't do it as a ritual. I did that as a kid. I was raised that way. I could shotgun that prayer out. Poof. But when I speak these words, I mean them. And each week to me, they've 
I can't explain it. They become deeper. They become more personal. I think that's what the Lord intended in Matthew 6 when he said, In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See, that's what this is about, the kingdom. Let your kingdom come and rule on earth as it does in heaven. There's no corruption in heaven. There's no political or financial or social shenanigans in heaven. Well, there was, and they got kicked out. You know, he doesn't tolerate that. Lead us away from the snares and the temptation of the evil one's kingdom, which is the kingdom of the world, which is the worldly things. Lead us away from that. Protect us from it. For yours, Father, is the kingdom we seek and its power and its glory forever. And we've been talking about kingdom wars. We're picking it back up, but... You know, I was going to just jump into the players and naming names and giving you a deeper insight. And all of a sudden, as I sat here today working on this, the Lord just took it in a little different direction. With everything that's going on, you need to get a kingdom mindset. You need to be able to see things through kingdom eyes. I talk to a lot of people that are seeing things through worldly eyes and then trying to measure it against the kingdom. And if you do that, you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get depressed. You're going to get beaten down. You need to start seeing everything with kingdom eyes. How does this function in the kingdom? What's really going on here? Is this something the Lord could use to further prophecy or further his kingdom? Just because we don't like it doesn't mean he's not going to do it. That word kingdom, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, is a political or territorial unit ruled by a sovereign. The eternal spiritual sovereignty of God or Messiah. That's what it is. We are living in a eternal spiritual sovereignty of the Lord. Holman Bible Dictionary says kingdom expresses a sphere of influence and not necessarily geographical boundaries. So I have to ask you, are you living within this sphere of influence of the kingdom, or are you darting in and out, one leg in, one leg out, do the hokey-pokey, shake it all about? Is that what you're doing? Are you doing a spiritual hokey-pokey? Are you jumping in or are you jumping out? No, jump into the kingdom and stay there. Let everything you do, let everything you say, let every choice be made from a kingdom mindset. God's kingdom, the sphere of influence over his people. Now, of course, the New Testament tells us about a coming kingdom that will be permanently established by the King of kings and Lord of lords. But we still live in one now, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What's a kingdom of holiness? It's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of truth. There is no sin. There is no um, things of the flesh. There's no fruit of the flesh. And And I know that when the new one comes, it'll be so much easier because we'll have glorified bodies. 
we won't have all the hindrances or the pains or the, or the wounds to deal with. Which is why when you say, your kingdom come, you should mean it. His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In John 18, 36, the Lord told Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Oh, it will be. And he's given us the authority of the kingdom here and now. And we've been called to apply it for kingdom business, the the Father's business, get people saved, healed, and delivered, subject the enemy, enforce God's authority in situations that require it. And I think the biggest reason I, I this got tweaked today is I've been talking to people that they are forgetting that they are not of this world. Our citizenship and our ownership is in a kingdom not of this world. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't care about this world. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be active in it and do what we're called to do, but we should always do it from a positional authority that this is not our home. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for this, wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Adonai Yeshua Mashiach, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We're not there yet. It's coming. But we should live a life that we are in the kingdom of the Lord under his influence and his direction today. In John 17, as, as the Lord prayed to the Father, he prayed for the disciples not to be taken out of the world, but to be protected from the evil one because they were here for a reason, here to serve him, but they were not of this world. If you were to stop right now and take stock of your life, of course, if you did that, you wouldn't hear the rest of the things I have to say. But if you would, after this Bible study, begin to take stock of your life, begin to make a column in the world, in the kingdom of God. When you look at the choices you make, the places you go, the things you do, where do you spend the most time? Where are your priorities? By believing in Yeshua, we've been promised a place in the eternal kingdom. And at least I know I'm eagerly awaiting Messiah's return. You should be too. But I have a news flash for you. There are going to be trials. It's not going to be easy. But our commitment to the, to the Lord enables us to walk steadily forward as citizens of God's kingdom. In Acts 14, Paul was strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, 
we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that, again, in this world but not of this world, the fallen world that hates you, hates the kingdom, is doing everything it can to usher in the Antichrist's kingdom. In case you haven't figured it out yet, the enemy doesn't like you. The enemy wants to subject you. So it's going to be a little rough at times to enter the kingdom of God. It's going to be a little rough at times to answer the call, to be obedient, to do what we're called to do. You may be unpopular. People may make fun of you. They may even want to hurt you. We have something called a cancel culture today. If you don't agree with the masses or they think that you are a threat to them, they look to cancel you, get you fired, get you kicked off social media. Well, magnify that by a million and you see how the enemy feels. His cancel culture is eternal. And he wants you to be canceled out to spend your eternity with him in the lake of fire. It's not going to be easy. There's a scripture in Matthew 11, Matthew 11:12, that because of the Greek word used, it's been difficult to translate. Now I'm going to give you four different versions. You're going to get four different translations, but I'll tie it all together. Matthew 11:12, New King James Version. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The Amplified Version, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. The New Living Translation, from the time of Baptist, began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. In my opinion, that's probably the closest one to be correct. Matthew 11, 12, uh, 12, in the Passion Translation, from the moment John stepped onto the scene until now. The realm of kingdoms heaven is bursting forth, and passionate people have taken hold of its power. I could probably fit all of them together and make it work, but the idea is this. Being a part of the kingdom of heaven, which is the same thing as the kingdom of God, The interaction between the two kingdoms, God's kingdom and the enemy's kingdom, is very dynamic. It's explosive. It's not static. It's not dull. There is no truce between the kingdoms. There is no common ground. There is no neutral territory. It's war and violent engagement until he makes it all his. Sadly, it wasn't supposed to be this way. He gave us all authority in heaven and earth, and we've been told to occupy, and we were told to subject the enemy, and the enemy tricked us into not doing it. So here we are trying to make things right. And I think the other reason we go through some of what we go through, and I'm off my notes here, so who knows where we're going to go, is that we play too nice with the enemy. We try not to get out of sorts. We try not to get too aggressive, sometimes for fear, some, and some because we've been taught that. Over the last couple of days of praying, the Lord has told me to stop being reactionary. 
and to take the war to the enemy. Not reacting after the fact. Get ahead of it. He's going to attack you anyway. Take it to him. And so that's what I've begun to do. When I was my most successful in spiritual warfare, when I was a baby Christian and didn't know maybe a third of what I know now, first thing every morning, my feet hit the ground. I was taking care of business. I was taking the fight to the enemy. And then after the wounds and the attacks and some casualties and some, you know, you, you get beat up, you get worn down. But you need to get up every morning understanding you live in a fallen world. The enemy knows who you are. He's going to attack you whether you attack him or not anyway. There is no, well, if I just leave him alone, he'll leave me alone. No, that just tells him since you're not going to fight back, you're easier, you're an easier target. But until he takes it all back, we're in for a little bit of a struggle. Struggle. We're in for a kingdom war. Revelations eleven fifteen. Then the seventh trumpet sounded, his trumpet being the shofar. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdom, the dominion rule of earth becomes his because it's finally been defeated and destroyed. And all the kingdoms of this world, every single one of them become his. All who dwell on the earth will be under his kingship. That seventh trumpet. The consummation of God's reign. And the content of the seventh trumpet trumpet is the yet-to-come judgment bowls. It's just a setup. Hey, judgment's coming. The praise, therefore, is in the prophetic terms of the actualization of the timeline of final events. Are you seeing things? When you watch the news, when you look at life, when you look what's going on around you, are you seeing it with kingdom eyes? Are you seeing the pieces fall into place? I'm not saying it's a cosmic chess match. I don't think it's that clean. I think it's a guerrilla warfare that you really have to see the whole field at once. But we are in the process of a finalization of events. And in spite of the fact that judgment and suffering is coming and must come, there is an anticipation to the glory of the reign of Messiah on earth. That's the other side of it. You press through the struggle. You press through the pain. You press through all the things that happen to you in this world for the, for the blessing. For the reward to the other side. But what I don't want you to forget ever, 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 that's not what this is all about. What it's really all about is we're in a tug of war for the souls of humanity, for the souls of our loved ones, and it's happening right now all around us. 
No matter what I do for the kingdom, no matter the dreams, no matter the visions, no matter the things he's told me to do, no matter how grandiose they are, how big they are, how international they are, it's all about one thing, getting people saved, healed, and delivered, plundering the kingdom of darkness. Everything's about that. There was a a story on the news about some Hollywood actress who has now declared that she is no longer a she, she's a he, and that's the pronoun she'll use, and and she changed her name from a female name to a male name, and we can get all sorts of offended and upset or spiritually outraged, but the fact is, you know what we should be doing? We should be praying for that person. We've made it much too easy for the enemy to plunder the souls of people. We haven't made them work hard enough. So when you see somebody on the news in sports or politics or somebody in your life, stop judging them and start interceding for them. Let the enemy work a little harder at it. Who knows, you may even wind up winning the soul in the process. But that tug of war, Colossians 1, starting verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he must have preeminence. I like that word, preeminence. Supremacy, domination, authority. It's mandated that those things are his. And if we sit with him in the heavenly places, it's been given to us. That's the imagery And the picture that's been painted for us in the Bible of the Lord's kingship. Psalm 47 verses 5 through 9. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Well, we know he's gone up with the shout because we've seen it in Acts 1, verses 9 through 11. Two scriptures get tied together. Actually, Psalm 47, Acts 1, 9 through 11. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, all tied together, they all line up. Acts 1, And when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? The same Yeshua who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Well, there's no description of how he went. 
But if we go to 1 Thessalonians 4.16, we see how he comes back. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead Messiah will rise first. So that means he must have left that way in Acts 1. When he descends from heaven, when he leaves the throne room, when he comes back, the voice of an archangel, most likely Michael, will give a shout, a shout of victory, a shout of recognition, a shout of intent of attention as the leader of the army of God announcing the coming of the king. I believe that shout will resonate through your DNA. It will resonate through your body. All creation will react to Michael's roar about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It will be one of triumph and great victory because what it means is it's done. The battle's over. Hasatan is going to be in prison for a thousand years along with his fallen brothers. The final signal, the trumpet of God, that shofar, resounding in the heavens. The shout of the Lord himself, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. More than likely three separate events happening in rapid succession. The king is coming. He's leaving the throne. The king is coming. All hail the king. Make way for the king. See that verse 7 in Psalm 45. For God is king of all the earth. It's a declaration of his sovereignty. It's also a declaration that he's a warrior king. He came once as a baby. He's coming back as king. The lion of the tribe of Judah. A messiah on a white horse. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God and the armies in heaven. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nation, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and lord of lords conquering king warrior king a king that has said I've had enough I'm going to settle this conflict myself and no matter how moving and majestic that is there are some things that have to happen before we get there some very uncomfortable things there's aspect of these kingdom wars that I do not look forward to. I've seen them in dreams and visions. I know my part of what's coming. And I'd be a fool to say I look forward to it. But I'm fully committed to it. 
Revelation 6, starting with verse 12. And I looked when he, the Lamb, broke open the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree shedding its late summer figs. When shaken by a strong wind, the sky was split, separated from the land, and rolled up like a scroll. And every mountain and island was dislodged, was moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the military commanders, and the wealthy, and the strong, and everyone, whether slave or free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the righteous wrath and indignation of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath and vengeance and retribution has come. And who is able to face God and stand before the wrath of the Lamb? Whether human or demon, whether high-ranking men or demonic falling angelic counterparts, They're all going to be defeated. That's what we're working towards. There's an ultimate battle plan here. It's not about politics. It's not about entertainment. It's not about anything but that. The final event. You know, if you go to boxing events, you go to fighting events, they have the preliminaries, they have all the battles beforehand, but then there's a main event. This is the main event. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm working for. That's what I'm training toward, the main event. That's why you can't get weary. You don't grow weary while doing good. It's easy to do so. I know I've been there. But then I have to remind myself of the word. I have to remind myself of the words given to me. I have to remind myself of the dreams and the visions that have been confirmed that line up with him. And I get excited and I get energized and I get back up again. So when we start seeing this in our mind, when you start visualizing this, which is I hope what you're doing when you start to see things, This takes us back to where this lesson started in Genesis 6 and really takes us back to the garden. That's the first rebellion. But on earth, it began in Genesis 6 when people began to multiply on the face of the ground and daughters were born to them. The daughters of Adam, the sons of God, saw that they were fair and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in men, shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh, and their days shall be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God went into the, which is the Beneha Elohim, went into the daughters of men and bore children to them. These were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The New Living Translation said these were the famous heroes and warriors of ancient times, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Babylonian gods, pre-flood people, people that are no longer around, no longer worshipped. That's really what this is all about. In the simplicity 
let me change that word, the simplifying of the story by Bible teachers and Bible scholars to not tell you that has allowed the enemy to catch you off guard, has allowed the enemy to to come up around you and do a sneak attack because you're all focused on one thing when there's so many other things out there that are a danger to you. I read this quote from Plato, and in no way, shape, or form am I saying this is biblical, but this is from 109 B.C. Once upon a time, the gods were taken over by lot, the whole earth, according to its regions. could put the word kingdoms there. So by just allotments, they reach each one to his own which means it was cut apart, and here you take this and you take that. So they each had their own kingdom, and they settled their countries. And when thus they had settled them, they reared us up, even as herdsmen reared their flocks to be their cattle and nurslings. Only it was not our body that they constrained by bodily force, like shepherds guiding their flocks with the stroke of staff, but they directed from the stern where the living creature is easiest to turn about, laying hold on the soul by persuasion as a rudder, according to their disposition, and thus they drove and steered all the mortal kind. Plato saw it, he just didn't understand what he was seeing. Or maybe he did, I don't know, I don't really know enough about him, but I don't think he understood Genesis 6. I don't think he understood the fallen watchers, I don't think he understood that, but he understood that there were gods They carved out the earth for themselves and took the people in those areas and subjected them as servants, as cattle. These self-proclaimed kings of the earth who established their kingdoms by force and subjection. Well, folks, when they get out of the pit, when they open the prison doors and let them out for that period of time during the tribulation, they're going to act as if nothing has changed, and they're going to want things back to where they were, and they're going to behave as they did before. This is not a pretty picture. Revelation 9, starting in verse 1, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star, an angelic being, that had fallen from heaven to earth, and the key of the bottomless pit, the abyss, was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke, like the smoke of a giant furnace, flowed out of the pit. And the sun and the atmosphere were darkened by the smoke from the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power to hurt was given to them, like the power which the earth's scorpions have. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but to hurt only the people who did not have the seal, the mark of ownership and protection of God on their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment and cause them extreme pain for five months, and the torment was like the torment from a scorpion when it stings a man. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die to escape the pain, but they will discover that death evades them. These locusts resembled horses prepared and equipped for battle, and on their heads appeared to be something like golden crowns, and their faces resembled human faces. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates made of iron. 
and the whirring noise of their wings was like the thunderous noise of countless horse-drawn chariots charging at full speed into battle. Are you seeing the fallen angelic imagery? Are you seeing the Nephilim human hybrid imagery? They have tails like scorpions and stingers, and in their tails is their power to hurt people for five months. And they have a king over them. Well, it must be a kingdom then. And in the Greek, he is called Apollyon, the destroyer king. In the Hebrew, his name is Abaddon, destruction. Many believe that's Apollo coming out of the pit. The key has obviously been given to Satan, and he opens. He's the one thrown down to heaven. It's not a pretty picture. You think you want to be here? All your buddies that tell you there's no rapture, the church is going to be here to the end, you think you want to be on the earth when that happens? The abyss, the bottomless pit, the reservoir of evil, the place for demons and fallen angels and hybrid human offspring pre-flood. The same place that Satan is going to be put into during the millennial reign. He got away with it. He didn't get to be there during this time, but he'll be there for a thousand years and then forever afterwards. That smoke is both literal, because I believe it comes from the center of the earth, but I also believe it's symbolic. It means deception. Smoke and mirrors. Which tells me the Antichrist is either going to come out of politics, entertainment, or both. And these locusts are demonic beings that inflict excruciating pain. What's interesting is Luke ten nineteen tells me I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and the ability, the authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will in any way harm you. So therefore I know those scorpions are demonic entities. But it talks about those that are sealed by God. They won't be hurt. Can't hurt them. What is the seal of God? Ephesians 1, 13. In him you also, when you've heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in him, were stamped with the seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit, the one promised by Messiah, as owned and protected by God. The seal of God says, I own you, you're protected, you're my spirit is in you. But this seal is different. Go with me to Revelation 7. I want to show you something that I just discovered today. Revelation 7, after this I saw four angels stationed at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. That means nothing moves on the water, nothing moves in the air, and nothing gives you any relief from the heat. And then I saw another angel coming up from the rising of the sun, holding the seal of the living God. And with a loud voice he called out to the four angels to whom it was granted to have authority and power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, until we seal and mark the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard how many were sealed. 144,000. 12,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 
12,000 sealed from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed, were marked, redeemed, protected. Interestingly enough, the tribe of Dan has been omitted and replaced by Joseph's older son Manasseh, so that there are 12 tribes. Also, Ephraim's missing as well, and they're both missing because of their idolatry, idolatry and rebellion against God. Many believe that the Antichrist will come out of the tribe of Dan. Some scholars believe they set up camp at the base of Mount Hermon. One hundred and forty four thousand spirit filled messianic Jews hand picked by God out of the people of the earth to serve him to be protected during that period of time. A seal marking the ownership and protection of God in the midst of judgment, in the midst of the stresses put on nature and humanity, they are protected, protected from the locusts, the demonic locusts. Now we know the seal is not a visible mark, so these locusts must be able to detect it. We know the demons can see They saw the Lord. They knew who he was. They know that you're marked by the blood. They know that you're marked by the Holy Spirit. Well, it makes sense to me. I read you Revelation 9. It comes chronologically after Revelation 7. Now, why am I telling this? How does this apply to you? God makes a way that even in the midst of judgment, whether it's the 144,000, whether it's Noah, whether it's Lot, he makes a way for those that belong to him. Judgment will come. Horror will come. But he will protect those that belong to him. I read a commentary today by Joseph Seiss, an American Lutheran minister and teacher from the 1800s in a teaching called The Apocalypse, a Revelation of Jesus Christ that in order to stand in the midst of a time of unparalleled judgment and tribulation, those who are sealed will require a special measure of spiritual enablement. He says this, We may therefore conceive of this sealing of the 144,000 as a special, extraordinary impartation of the Holy Ghost, which again connects this with the particular Old Testament promises by the mouth of Joel, The Lord said to Israel, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
This was indeed a general promise, but with it was coupled another, which is not so general, in particular to Israel. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens of those days I'll pour out my spirit. Peter tells us that this began to be fulfilled at the miracle of Pentecost, as I've mentioned and taught here. But the fulfillment did not end there, because the second part of Joel's prophecy comes during that end times. Wonders in the heaven and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, turning the sun into darkness and the moon into blood. That's the end results of the seals. The second seal, the sixth seal, first and fifth trumpets. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the beginning, was the the preparation for that. But this 144,000, as Shelley and I discussed today, and he's going to do some research, as will I, to find out what made them be the ones he chose. Yes, they are spirit-filled messianic Jews. But why those 144,000? And don't listen to these people that tell you their denomination is the 144,000 or or the church is the 144,000. No, he's naming tribes of Judah, tribes of Levi, tribes of Ishakar, Naphtali. He's naming them by name. Zebulon, Benjamin, Manasseh, Asher, Gad, Judah. They are named by name. That's not the church. But the thing I'm trying to get you to understand, the thing that I, I realized as I laid this out today with the Lord, that in the midst of this war I am opening your eyes to, and I know some of you told me your eyes are opening. The calling is becoming clearer. Now whether you answer it or not, it's up to you. That just as Noah and his family had supernatural protection while building the ark. you got to remember, they had to pick the right trees. They had to cut those trees down. They had to take the bark off the trees. They had to cut the trees into the frame of the, the, the wood that they needed. They had to have the tools. They had to put it together. They had to seal it with the pitch. I mean, And they only had Noah, his two sons, their wives, and his wife. That's not really a boat-building crew, if you ask me. But somehow they got it done through supernatural means in a time that the earth is covered in a hybrid demonic humanity with fallen angels and everything that the days of Noah would offer us. They got it done. Just like he had protection, so will we. But the only answer to this problem was salvation. The only answer to this problem was the the cross. The redemption was the cure. But I don't want you to get weary while doing good. I don't want you to get beat down. I don't want you to get tired. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know 
that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. We know that. We hear it. We feel it. We see it in the world. We see it with man's doing, what animals are doing. We see it in nature. We see it in politics and entertainment and all the things that this world has become in finances and all the things that the enemy has built and all the kingdoms and all the influences that the enemy has done that he's got an objective. He's on a plan. He's on a schedule. Right now, I believe he's panicking and he's manipulating some things to get back on schedule. But if God doesn't want that to happen, he's going to throw it on its end because we have a job to do. We have some kingdom business to get done. And it may be tough. It may be uncomfortable. Things may not go our way. There may be giants in the land. There may be things out there that want to destroy us and keep us from doing what we're doing. But we have to believe that we're sealed, we're marked, we're protected. We are going to get it done. So, Father, I come to you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I know just as Abel's blood cried out to you from the ground, the blood of your children, the blood of the slaughtered babies, the blood of of everything that we've done to put into the earth to dishonor you and to feed the kingdom of darkness cries out to you. The martyrs cry out to you. We cry out to you. We cry for mercy. We cry for grace. We cry for rest. We cry for healing. We cry for provision. But most of all, we just cry for a measure of your Holy Spirit, the measure needed to get through, the measure of faith, the measure of power, everything that we need to get this done so that we can hear that sound, the shout of the archangel, the trump of God when we can be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb and finally sit down with you and drink of the fruit of the vine again and see the joy on your faces, of the faces of your disciples and your face as you sit with them again at that table like you did at the Last Supper. To hear the angel singing and the praise and the joy of it all. But to get there, we got to go through some stuff, Lord. I'll always say, send me. I don't care. My sword's ready. But you have people out there, Lord, that want to, but they're afraid. They're wounded. They have no confidence in themselves. They've... Their worthiness has been stolen from them. I ask you speak to your children. I ask you speak into their spirits, their hearts, their souls, and their minds. I pray right now, Lord, you'd heal what needs to be healed. You'd restore what needs to be restored and replenish what needs to be replenished. We love you. You did everything for us. Now let us do everything we can for you. And I ask this, Lord, I ask your spirit to dwell over us. I ask you to speak into us. In Yeshua's name. Amen.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I am Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.